Mountain Church. This is going to be new for me. I'm not even going to try to risk with a bad cord on this to try to uh, try to keep this other mic going. And I tend to talk with my hands, so this is going to be a double challenge. I, I just kind of like, I don't know how this, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Tuck it in my sweater maybe, I don't know. Hear that all going? No, we are going to be in Second Corinthians chapter four today. We're going to take a look at the whole chapter, uh, four one through eighteen, and and this is just a really interesting chapter as Paul is reading this about affliction, about hope, about losing heart, and so we're going to take a look at that today. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and open up to First Corinthians or Second Corinthians chapter four. We'll look at verses one through eighteen. Let's go ahead and hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, his ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For, we, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of death, in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that, our, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe. And so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that, it, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen, I'm sorry, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this word that is, that is in Scripture. And we pray, Lord, that as we enter into this time of hearing your word and, and worship through hearing and responding to your word, that you would move in our hearts. You would convict us. You would challenge us. You would draw us closer to you through your word. Father, I pray that you would just set me aside and let this be of you. 
uh, that it that it be just as Paul has said here that 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 we renounce disgraceful underhanded ways we refuse to practice in cunning or to tamper with your word and that it just be strictly your word today Father I ask that you would just be with this congregation speak to our hearts and it's in Jesus name I pray amen when Paul's opening this section up, he says, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And, and I read that statement, how he opens this thing up. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And I think to myself, if there was ever a person in the New Testament who had a reason to lose heart, it's Paul, right? This is a man who has literally been run out of towns. He has been beaten he has been, had people stone him and leave him for dead. He has been imprisoned. He has been abandoned by people he thought were not just close friends, but true brothers in Christ and, and partners in ministry. And all of this that has happened to him is for the sake of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. right? And, and the thing is, is, he's not just spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to those who don't even want to hear it, or when they do hear it, they reject it. Yet he opens up this section with, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. In, in spite of all that's happening around him, in spite of all that's happening to him, Paul does not lose heart because he has this eschatological view of life. He has this view of life that is that he sees life here on earth with the end in view. What happens when Jesus returns? What's it going to be like in heaven? That's where Paul's looking. He knows God is bringing about the beginning of a new creation amid a sinful and fallen world. And he knows that the appearing and ministry of Christ has started all of this in motion. And he's looking forward to the culminating act when Jesus returns in that day. And as Paul's writing here, he's not motivated by money. He's, he's not looking for any human approval. He stands firm on the truth of Scripture. He refuses to tamper with God's Word. I, I love that. I love the Greek word here that's translated to tamper, right? Because that's really important. It's, it's the same word used when talking about wine merchants and how they might dilute their goods, how they would water down casks of wine. Paul is saying he refuses to water down the Word of God. He will not change it to suit what people want to hear. Hear me out on this one. <laughs> right? What Paul is saying here about the Word of God applies to us as well. Right? We should not want to tamper with the Word of God. This is exactly why Chris and I preach whole books of Scripture and not pick and choose favorite passages to develop sermons from. Right? False teachers in this world are going to take the Word of God and they're going to tamper with it. They're going to mess with it. They may water it down. They're going to make it say what you want to hear. They know exactly how to bend it and twist it Right, how to bend and twist the Word of God to make it fit the political narrative you may want to hear, whether that's on the left or whether that's on the right. They can make things in Scripture 
or they, they can make things Scripture speaks little about appear to be unpardonable and unforgivable sins. And they can make things clearly denoted in Scripture as sin appear to be okay. Woe to the teachers who take God's Word out of context for their own gain and for their own profit. And may God have mercy on those who have been deceived by them. And may the truth of the Word awaken them and bring them back to the true gospel. Because there's no secret gospel, right? Paul mentions that. There's, there's no special select inner group. The gospel of Jesus Christ is an open message to all that there is sin in your life. And you cannot rid yourself of that sin. God the Father sent Jesus the Son to rescue you from your sin. He and He alone, Jesus alone is capable of rescuing you. This is the truth that Paul is proclaiming to the people. This is the truth Chris and I strive to proclaim each week as well. And may God judge us if we don't. It is by God's grace and God's mercy that he allows every believer, every believer to teach the truth of the gospel message. And we should be grateful for every opportunity we have. Paul continues on and he says, If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. We know that it is God's will of desire to see that every man is saved. Every person is saved. But there are those who are hard-hardened to the gospel, and they are separated from God's presence. That hard-heartedness makes it impossible for them to see Jesus as the Messiah. It's, it's it impossible for them to see that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Satan has blinded them and kept them from seeing the truth of the gospel. Right? The gospel message shines a light on how Christ's work on the cross makes it possible for God's people to be in His presence. We become God's people when the Holy Spirit convicts us and brings us to faith in Jesus Christ. The Spirit will then begin to transform us and to change us. The gospel is proclaimed from our mouths and shown evident in our life. Understand that, that we say it with our words and we show it with our life. And we are being more and more conformed to the character and the image of God daily as we grow in the Holy Spirit. For it is God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness and it has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Right, verse 6 there. For God has said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, see God gave light to creation in the beginning. Right? In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, and it was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. See, when, when we come to Christ, we are given the light of the gospel in our hearts. 
And the beauty of that is, is it's, it's like creation. It's like Genesis 1-1 for us, that it's this dawning of a new creation in a fallen world. We now know the glory of Christ and encounter the life-changing glory of God. We are made new through that. And just as God speaks light into existence, he speaks the light of knowledge of Christ into our dark and sinful hearts. And salvation is from above. It's from God and from God alone. It's the Lord who draws us to himself. It's the Lord who opens our eyes. I just love the way Jonathan Edwards, the old Puritan preacher, says it. He says it like this. He says, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. We need to think about that, proclaim that, teach that, that there is light and it comes from God. And this theme of, of darkness versus light that, that Paul uses here runs throughout much of the Bible, and, and it's so much more than a natural light. And in all the ways we see light mentioned in the Old Testament, whether we see light mentioned in creation, or we see light mentioned at the burning bush, or we see light in the pillar of fire and the cloud that led the Israelites, or we see the light mentioned as the perpetual lamp in the tabernacle, or the ways that the prophets spoke about light and dark as these moral categories for the people. It's not just some abstract brightness. It's not just some something there. This, this light theme is a very personal theme because the light source is the radiance of God himself. It is God producing that light. And this light is reflected by God's servants. And Jesus, God the Son, is the light of the world. In spite of all of his suffering and all of his affliction, Paul has hope, and he has hope in that. And he does not lose heart because he knows, as it says in 1 John 2, 8, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He has hope in Christ. And he knows that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead gives him the power to endure all his sufferings and to endure all his afflictions. The same power is, is what reveals the power of God in Paul's life. The same power gives him the assurance that he will be resurrected at the end of the age. Mm. See, we have this treasure, the treasure of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. See, this gospel message that, that you and I have received is a treasure. We, we sometimes don't think about it like that, but it's a treasure. And it's really the greatest treasure ever known. It is the greatest gift that could ever be given to anyone. It's the greatest gift you could ever receive, yet it's stored in jars of clay. As we look at that, it's stored in these jars of clay. But we have this treasure in verse 7 in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This, this wonderful, beautiful, priceless treasure is stored in these jars of clay, these fragile and frail vessels. 
And God is, is using our human frailty. God is using our human weakness. God is using our human fragility to carry the greatest gift and the greatest treasure to others. He does this to show his strength and to show his triumph through our weakness. And we think about that. We, we, we hold on to that, and that really embodies the principle of Christ's crucifixion. And he continues on in verses 8 and 10, or 8 through 10, and he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We are united in Christ. When we are saved, not not only are, are our sins forgiven, right? Like that's what we're all looking for. I'm not gonna lie. Like like that's what we do when we want to get saved. We want to get our sins forgiven. We want to want that ticket into heaven. We want what that sort of thing. But but that's not just what happens. Not only do we have our sins forgiven, but we we also join Christ in His death and His resurrection. Right? There's this there's this weird paradox living as a follower of Jesus Christ. That this evil age around us wants to kill us. But we are carrying in the body the death of Jesus Christ. Our resurrection life is, is really just kind of quietly blossoming, quietly blooming, right? So that the life of Christ may be manifested in our bodies. See, our life comes through death. Jesus' death. Christ died so that we may live. We then are to die to self so that Christ is manifested in our lives for others to see. We die to self so that Christ may be living in us. And we see this. Paul is a great example of that. Paul is always being given over to God or given over by God to death for Jesus' sake. And, and we are called to do the same. That, that my life here, while it's not bad, it's not as good as it could be if I'm not willing to just surrender it all to Christ. That, that when, when God is using me for His sake and for His glory, it's okay for me to be ground to powder for his sake. Right? And this, this is the power of the resurrection life that Jesus Christ might be made known. This is it. This is what that power looks like. It's, it's made known through our mortal weaknesses. It's made through made known through our human flesh and how it fails. Our suffering and our endurance through that suffering may be intended by God to bring other believers to be able to trust him through their hardships. Our suffering and our endurance through that suffering may be intended by God to bring unbelievers to faith. This was the case for Paul. His hardships, his sufferings, and how he endured and how he maintained his faith through those sufferings and those afflictions and those hardships were meant to bring the Corinthian church and us today to a place of faith 
and to place our faith and trust in God through any kind of hardship, any kind of suffering, any kind of adversity. Verse 13, Paul quotes King David, and he's quoting King David out of Psalm 116.10. He says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, this is a quote, I believe and so I spoke. We have also believed and we also speak. That I believed and so I spoke is coming out of a lament of David's. David was writing this psalm during a time of affliction in his life. And the Spirit was on. The Holy Spirit was on David. And we have the Holy Spirit in our lives as well. It is the Holy Spirit who creates faith. It is the Holy Spirit who conforms us to Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who secures the promises of God. And the Spirit gave David this attitude of trust and faith in God through affliction and hardship. And the Holy Spirit does the same for us. And he continues in verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into our presence. Paul, again, is talking about this resurrection, right? Reminding folks it's not just our souls. It's not just our essence. It's not just our being that will be in heaven. Now, see, this is interesting because it was really a common Greek teaching of Paul's day. And it's really a common false belief and a false view of heaven today. Right? We will not be disembodied souls floating around heaven with white, with, with white robes and, and wings, despite what Tom and Jerry and Bugs Bunny have been teaching us for decades. That's not how it works. In the beginning, God made us physical beings. He said our physical bodies were good. Sin entered through Adam, and it marred our bodies. It marred our minds. It marred our hearts with sin. Our resurrection will be bodily. The resurrection is God redeeming His creation, all of it. And we will be made new like the newness of the garden before the fall right we will still be fully human but without of our frailties without our weaknesses without all of those things that are in this present age our bodies won't wear down they won't get sick we won't break bones we won't contract diseases i'm excited about that the eye doctor this week told me i needed bifocals it was time i turned him down generously and graciously, or however you want to look at it. But, but it's there, right? The breaking bones. 27 by 27 was my number. I had broken 27 bones by the time I turned 27 years of age. I'll be glad to not do that in heaven. Right? Our bodies won't wear out. We will be fully human, made to commune with God the way Adam communed with God in the garden to walk around unashamed in front of our Lord. And just as Christ was, was raised physically from the dead, we too shall rise with Him in the resurrection. When, when, you, when you take time to ponder Jesus and His resurrected body, you take time to ponder the resurrection of Christ, you're getting to ponder your own future. 
because we will be raised in his likeness. This is why Paul says we do not lose heart. Our, our, our current physical body shows signs of weakness and frailty. But the Holy Spirit strengthens us and makes us and makes a moral and spiritual transformation in our lives. Right? We are being conformed to the image of God as seen in Jesus Christ. It's, it's interesting as we think about it. At the very beginning of this letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul felt that his suffering was almost too much to bear. Right? It, it was to bringing him to despair, he said. But now, as, as he's reflecting on eternity, he sees the lightness and the ease of earthly sufferings for the follower of Christ when you weigh it against the weight of the glory beyond all comparison. Verse 17, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not into the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are not seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Mm. As followers of Christ, our earthly afflictions are far from harming us permanently. Our, our afflictions here prepare us to receive a great eternal reward. Our focus should be eschatological, right? Looking to those unseen things, looking to the future in eternity with Christ. The promises of God that are yet to come. That's where we're to look. If you're a follower of Jesus today, do not lose heart. Your affliction is temporary and light when you consider it on the scale of eternity. Ask God to grow your trust in Him through your affliction. Take time to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through some hardships, who have affliction. Pray for them now. Right? Show the love of Christ to them. Aid them in how they need the, the aid in these hard times. It could be bringing them meals, hugs when necessary, or just sitting in silence and being present for them. If you're not a follower of Jesus, there's one who gives hope through affliction and suffering, and it is Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you want to know more about him, if you want to know about having a relationship with him, I want to talk to you about that. I want you to be a follower of Christ. You can contact us, drop us a comment if you're watching online, send us an email at office at calvaryheights.org. We would love to have a conversation with you about Jesus. In a moment, we're going to have our time of invitation, our, our time of dealing with God. If you're in the building, our, our, we want to let folks know that our altar area is, is always open for prayer. Um, we want to just take this time to reflect and really ask God to, to move in us and to challenge us to not lose heart and to show others that we are not losing heart through His grace and through His mercy. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word. Father, let us not lose heart today. Let us remember that, that our affliction is temporary. Our affliction is light. 
we weigh it against eternity. Father, I pray that as we we are seeing affliction in our lives, whether it's illness, ailments, hardships, whatever, that you would grow our trust in you. That you, you would use that to have us dig deeper and stand firmer in our faith in you. Father, I pray that you would just use that in a mighty way for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us proclaim our faith in you through our words and through our actions so that people know there is hope and it is in you.